Welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. Yeah, that's, that's, that's recording. That's good. <laughs> Always best to check. Yeah, I, still, I still worry about that, actually. It's kind of funny. Always check. Yeah. I'm, do you get the Skype at your end still? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I've got it set up my end as well. So I guess yeah. we should be okay, but it's like, it's always that chance, isn't it? Yeah, between one and the other of us, we'll we'll have at least a Skype copy. Still, it never sounds great, does it? No, it doesn't. It's kind of funny. You can always, I can always tell listening to other podcasts as well, like kind of broadly what the process was that they did to yeah. pull it together. It's quite common, isn't it? The, the amount of people that just phone in on Skype and that's what goes out. Yeah, um, and we're very minimal editing sometimes as well. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, I understand it's not necessarily a quick job or whatever, but there are so there are some podcasts I, I've actually skipped and stopped listening to because they've been produced in a, in that sort of fashion. <laughs> if if the other person's feed is difficult to hear properly, then that that's it. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see why the you know the guest on the show can't be instructed to either just for using QuickTime or or whatever if they're on a Windows machine. Just record your local mic track, even if that means you're recording your Apple EarPod things. Because mm-hmm. even that's going to be better than just a raw Skype feed, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to be. But then I guess if you're not if you're not planning to edit, then you may as well just grab it and go. That kind of forces an edit, even the li- in, in the lightest sense of the word. Because if you've got to grab their audio and timeline it and sort of synchronize it with your lo- local mic feed, yeah, then. Yeah, I mean, horses for courses, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, your edit, your edits are really tight these days. I, th- I think I would struggle now to sort of meet exactly the same kind of quality, really, if I was if I picked it back up. It's difficult. Like, obviously, when we record it, it's a certain way, and I'm always very conscious mm-hmm. that I, I almost don't want to deceive the listener by making them think it's like a, a lot different than what actually happened. Yes. you can. You can yeah. quite easily edit it you know so far to like within it within an inch of its life and it could be a very different show to what was recorded i mean i, I do go quite heavy on the edit because i try and I, I don't know i mean i kind of think about how i listen to podcasts and when i kind of tune out of podcasts and it's generally when the edit isn't quite on top of where it should be i feel um kind of when conversation because yep. conversations wander don't they sometimes and i think a lot of times some stuff could be cut and also like a lot of, if it's yeah. like a slow kind of conversation that's a bit like Ami and Ari, that's even if I'm out walking with nothing else to do other than listen to a podcast, that's when I'll sometimes tune out and maybe think, oh, maybe I'll listen to someone else. Yep. Yeah. It's tricky, tricky balance. I guess all you can do is what you feel is best as the person editing it. And that's going to be different It's for everyone, isn't it? It is. It's, it's kind of funny as well. It's sort of, it's part of what puts me off doing video in some respects is the idea of like, I know that, that an audio edit can still sound good, whereas with a video edit, you're gonna the visual is gonna jump all over the place. But that's almost accepted, isn't it? In like YouTube land, I guess so. It it it, it kind of has to be, I, I guess, because people are still gonna want to edit. And but if it does it too much, or if it was doing it in a conversation, I think I'd find it a bit weird. Um, I mean, there's ways and means around it. I've been kind of paying particular attention to it a bit lately because I'm. Well, as you know, I've been sort of talking about maybe feeling out a bit of video work. And yep. you kind of see, if it's like a talking head video, I guess like Renee Ritchie's channel, 
because he's very much mm-hmm. sit in front of a camera talk about subject whatever it is uh, well always apple but um, it always starts out with kind of like um his kind of default framing and then quite yep. often you'll get like a zoom shot of his head not much but it'll just kind of zoom in a little bit and i think i think that's when i mean i don't know but i'm guessing that's when he's thought oh, i need to cut there because i you know said something that i don't want it to go in the video but then if you mm-hmm. stayed at the same zoom level it would be really weird if your head just suddenly twitched almost like cause it would just go from like one place to another instantly but if you've got the yep. zoom going on as well it's almost like oh that was almost done for effect when actually it could have been sorting out an edit some of the channels with bigger pockets when they use like multicam stuff you quite often they'll cut to like a a camera that they're not looking at that's almost like at 45 degrees looking at them and it's yeah. kind of like a bit of yeah, a wobbly yeah. camera sometimes that that alternate camera as well is run through a slightly different filter right yeah yeah so it's that sort of um oh god way back when i remember that i associated that with like interviews that were done on channel four where like you know it'd be a a dispatch interview or or whatever the hell yeah um yeah and they would use the alternate camera probably in exactly the same sort of way i'm trying to think is unbox therapy i think they do it quite a bit when he's kind of sat at his desk and, you know, he's got, like, the phone that he's unboxing or whatever. And then all of a sudden it will just cut to, like, this side camera. And it's almost like someone's mm-hmm. holding it that's kind of wobbling around a little bit. Right. And I'm not entirely sure why they do that. I think it's a cool effect. It's almost, yeah. kind of, you almost feel like you're in the room a bit more, kind of as a as an observer to what's going on as opposed to being talked at. Yeah. Um, that's probably the the reasoning, right, to sort of break it up. Yeah. But, again, that's the kind of thing that you could, like, if you have a too long of an arm or an R or, or, you know, like you drop the phone on the desk or whatever that you're trying to review. <laughs> if you've got that camera yeah. constantly rolling at, at the other angle, just cut to yeah. that and then cut back to your one and then it, it's, it's seamless. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a whole, whole other world, isn't it? Compared to what we're doing. Yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, an interesting one though. I do find it interesting, but I've been playing, I've been playing lately with video. I don't know if you've seen, I had a bit of a play yesterday. Um, I took a walk, took my usual kind of walk um, in in our area that I've been doing sort of since um, banging my head and then lockdown. Um, So every day, pretty much, unless something else goes on, I I go for a walk. Um, And I took some video along the way, just of like walking down the street and some of the things that in our area... Because at the end of this walk, um, I can see out across Wellington Harbour. And actually, it's quite a nice view. So I sort of thought, eh, if I grab a few bits along the way and then grab that view at the end, it'll look quite nice. Uh, and I shoved it all through a filtering app that kind of draws the video. Oh, I did see that. Now you mention it. Yeah. And I'm actually quite pleased with the effect of it. Um, it, was, it was very much a, a sort of, let's just see whether I can do anything with this. Then it became an exercise in like, okay, now all the clips are on my phone. Do you know what? Let's just see if I can edit it on the phone. Uh, okay, now I'm in iMovie. Mm, it's a bit clunky, but let's give it a go. And then, yeah, about half hour later, I was like, oh, I've got my video. This is done. I don't need to export it off to the Mac. It's just there on my phone. That was really quite fun, to be honest. <laughs> I feel like I've been on a totally different different track i've been like trying to evaluate final cut 
and DaVinci Resolve. I tell you what, there's, there's some learning curves going on there. <laughs> Blimey. I feel like I was at that stage kind of about a week ago where I was all in on Final Cut because that was the only one I tried mm-hmm. and I'd gotten a little bit of confidence with it. So I was like, well, this is obviously the one. Yeah, this is the one that works best because now I know it. I thought I've got to properly try Resolve because Resolve's got the whole cross-platform thing going for it as well in that, you know, Linux, Mac, Windows, whereas Final Cut, it's, you know, it's just, just Mac and it's uh, it's a lot of money. I know there's the educational yeah. thing they do for £200, but... It's a lot of money and it ties you straight into the platform still, which may be something you don't want. Yeah, we'll come to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, the last few days I've been trying Resolve and there's this really cool YouTube tutorial about it and I was just blown away by what you can do with it. Uh, I mean, I guess you can do all the same stuff in Final Cut as well, but just the speed that this this guy was doing all this stuff and I was like, whoa, that is that is just another level right there. <laughs> um, I mean, he was doing like colour correction and like sort of showing you, not only did he know how to use the software, he knew kind of the business of video editing kind of like hollywood style showing you how they do yep. it in hollywood and this is why they do it um they call it like the is it the teal and orange color that they color balance it all to so the skin tones pop and backgrounds look good and all, all that stuff yep and even went as far as saying oh yeah we've got these yellow bollards in the video and we'll just pretend that we've had a request from the client that they all be pink and within like, you know, click, 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 bang, 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 done. Every single bollard in every frame of video from different clips that have been stitched together, pink. is incredible. <laughs> I can believe it. Um, That's awesome. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, and I was doing all of this in Windows. And then I start thinking, well, this yep. is, this, this software is incredible. Um, what do I need my Mac for? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of wrestled with that for about a day or two. And yeah, the week just gone. I came so, so close to selling the MacBook. Like, so close. Whoa. I can't even describe how close it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> had a guy lined up ready to buy it. We were making arrangements for, like, where we're going to meet, what time we're going to meet, what day we're going to meet. We'd arranged a price. Oh, no, you were all the way down the path. All the way there. Then came the kind of discussion of how would he pay for it. Right. I'm thinking, I don't want to do the PayPal thing, because much like when I sold my iMac uh last year whenever it was paypal worried me because there's the potential for you know the person who buys it to be like start complaining to paypal and like paypal instantly give them their money back and then i'm like i have no money and no device um no it's kind of it's just a risk my understanding that kind of paypal instantly kind of sides with the the customer yeah i was a little bit uncomfortable about that, so i was like okay well it's kind of got to be cash or bank transfer and cash what with everything that's going on covid and stuff probably Mm -hmm. not a good idea second of all probably not a good idea for either of us to have that amount of cash on us um no not not really the best of situations and then the guy started suggesting we meet in this town that is currently experiencing a covid outbreak and i'm like no way like (laughs) first of all i'm not very happy that i'm gonna have to meet you at all um never mind in a town that's experiencing a covid outbreak it's kind of like halfway between the two of us uh, and then it's like, okay, so bank transfer. And he's like, okay, I can do that. And I'm like, but what if it's not instant? What if it doesn't clear instantly? Because mm-hmm. Yeah, it becomes a lot of uh, stuff. I, like, I can't let you just take the Mac if I haven't seen that money clear in my account 
because for all I know, you've just gone tap, tap, tap on your phone, not given me any money, stolen the Mac, and off you go. Um, and it kind of came to be a bit of a stalemate, really. And yeah, yeah, we kind of left it at that. He was a bit grumpy. I was a bit grumpy at the time because I, I really wanted to sell it at that moment. But actually, when once it had kind of fallen through, I guess there was a big sense of relief. So maybe I kind of dodged a bullet in terms of mm-hmm. regretting it. Yeah, scary that I came that close. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> um, I kind of thought, had I sold it, I'd be I'd be recording now on my old 2010 MacBook that I've still got kicking around and I was going to like just surprise you at the end of the show <laughs> and tell you. <laughs> and then just like roll outro music. <laughs> I'm no longer in the club, yeah. damn it. <laughs> but... Oh. I I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know what's best to do. I kind of feel like my plan was if I sell it, um, the guy offered me a good price as well. It's two thousand six hundred. He offered me for it. Right, um, that is a good price. It is a pretty good price, all things considered. And I thought, right, I can build a really good PC for that, like a really good PC with that. Um, yep. You know, big monitor, one hundred and forty four hertz, all the bells and whistles. I kind of thought, well, if if I'm going to do video editing on it, if that's something I want to pursue, then what what do I need the Mac for? The yep. only thing is iOS development that's keeping me on the Mac. And I kind of, yep. well, as you know, I'm kind of feeling a bit like, is it something I want to carry on with, like in a serious way? I still don't really know the answer to that. I'm kind of just, the way I've kind of settled it in my mind is that I've just given myself permission to take a break from it. Um, yep. I guarantee you had I sold it I'd have had an app idea driving back down the motorway to come home <laughs> that, that's, that was yep. what was stopping me but my plan was I could build a PC that would be enough for gaming more than enough and it would have a, an 8 core AMD Ryzen CPU in it which again enough for video editing more than enough for video editing I mean I guess if you're doing it really heavily you'd probably want one of these thread ripper 64 core goodness knows what things but that's that's mm-hmm. just, yeah there'd be no way i would do that and then i kind of thought well then i'd have enough change left from that this is the crazy part i'd have enough change after the pc after a 27 inch 144 hertz gaming monitor after all the bits and bobs to have enough money probably for whatever this arm mac turns out to be yeah if indeed i decide at that point i would like another mac so that was kind of my motivation. It kind of still makes sense when I say it out loud. Sort of. Because otherwise it's kind of like I'm saving up for a PC and then I've still got the Mac and then probably I'll end up using the PC loads thinking, oh, I should have sold that Mac because now it's just a, an expensive paperweight. And yep. now the ARM stuff's out, so everyone's going crazy about ARM and I've got this old Intelli kind of MacBook. Uh, I don't think that's going to be true. I do. I think the Intel Macs are going to hold their... I think it will hold its value for a little while to come i think it probably will as well and yeah where where i've settled now is i mean i guess i could find another buyer probably but i kind of with that one falling through i kind of made my decision that okay i'll I'll just keep it yeah for now yep for the short term and by the short term i mean probably to the end of this year at least what that means is that the macbook will be where i do all my video editing be that in final cut or resolve or, or, or whatever because let's not forget, it's got an 8-core i9 in it. I mean, this isn't like a a slow machine by any stretch. And it still leaves the door open for iOS, if that ever, sort of, if I ever feel like I want to start building apps again. Yeah, 
it's, it's not close that door at all. You've, you've still got a Mac. Yeah, and also it then means that I can be looking more a budget PC as opposed to needing to throw the kitchen sink at it because it's my one and only PC. Yep. So looking about, looking at sort of specking up components, and this has been such a rabbit hole, I can't even describe, like, <laughs> so many parts that go into a computer and you can customise every single one of them and there's reviews for every single one of them, like... Just like you could spend a whole day looking at RAM and then another whole day looking at power supplies and another whole day looking at CPU coolers, just the coolers. So, from looking around, I could probably build a, like a when I say budget, I don't mean cheap and rubbish, I mean on a budget. You could build a, a good gaming PC for about 900 to a thousand, depending on prices because they go up and down like power supplies at the moment. You just can't get them, yeah, or not easily and not at a good price. Rather than needing to start thinking, sort of spending MacBook Pro money, like 16-inch MacBook Pro money on a on a desktop PC, given that I'm keeping the MacBook Pro and it's going to handle sort of the productivity side of stuff, that means yep. I can just build the PC just for gaming, which means I don't need as many cores. Um, yep. Because the priority really is kind of higher clock speed, lower cores with gaming. I mean, they're starting to take advantage of high multi-core stuff, but... Yeah, but it's all on the GPU, isn't it? Not in the same way as like Final Cut Pro does, for example, that, you know, for as many courses out as you want and they'll all get taken advantage of. But gaming, it's nowhere near like that. So I think that's going to be my strategy. Have you settled on whether you're going in for Final Cut or DaVinci Resolve? Probably Resolve to start with, just purely because of price. Fair enough. Um, Because I think Final Cut on its own is 399 and they do this educational yes, bundle, which may or may not be entitled to for one nine nine, but that's still one nine nine. Best case scenario, yeah, it's not cheap, and that's one nine nine out of my PC saving strategy, which is, you know, takes a bit of a hit out of that. So I think I'm going to do Resolve probably on the Mac. Yeah, just kind of keep um, putting some money aside each month for the gaming tower and monitor, and yep. then sort of come October November time. It should be all set. It's kind of interesting because I can imagine that maybe you can get the monitor sooner. Well, that's one thought, yeah. set with the MacBook. That is one, one, one thought. There's a, a really nice monitor made by AOC and it's really quite cheap for, for what it does. It's an IPS 144 hertz monitor, 1080p, and I think it goes for about £190. So I could get that right. now, use it with my MacBook, and then have it for when the, when the PC's ready. Yeah. The other school of thought is is do I go for a twenty seven inch fourteen forty P monitor, spend a bit more on it now, and then kind of have it to grow into with the PC? Because the MacBook wouldn't be able to drive it anywhere near as well as it could the ten eighty P one I just spoke about. No, but it could drive it for now. It could drive um, it for now. It, yeah. Um so I'm, i yeah. may may take that route. I'd I'd be inclined to go that route if if I were you just in terms of future proofing it a little bit just so that when you get the the gaming machine to go with it it's um then it'll all sing yeah and it's a noticeable improvement away from running at hd on the macbook so because you probably you would probably still run at hd for the moment if the macbook can't drive the um that refresh rate on the the monitor yeah so at 1080p the macbook can sort of do all right for a bit of context counter-strike Global Offensive, CSGO as it's known. It's not a particularly graphical title. 
Um, the MacBook gets around 110, 120 frames a second at 1080p on that. Okay. Um, if you go to 14... That's pretty decent. It's pretty decent. But then if you've got a 144 hertz monitor, that's like your... You almost want that to be the floor. Yeah. So you want to be looking at the two, yep. 300 range, ideally, so that when you do get the dips, Damn. you're... Uh, but I mean, yeah, this is like splitting hairs. Um, you go to 1440p, then you, yeah, your frames start to drop to more like 80. So, yep. so it's still playable. But what I'm saying is that monitor would not be being taken advantage of un- until it's got the PC hooked up to it. I still think that's a reasonable move, though, because you're going to have more real estate then to play with when you're editing video as well. Yeah, that, that's a thought as well. That's, that's been kind of a consider, And it's like an IPS monitor, the one I'm looking at. Um, although it's a gaming monitor, this is kind of... Uh, the reviewers are loving it because they're saying it, it's like a, one of these one millisecond, although it's not really, but they say it is, like all mon- monitor manufacturers <laughs> do. First of all, it's like, well, it's not, it's like grey to grey, so it's not from going black to white, it's pixel going grey to something and then back to grey again, which is easier to achieve. And then yep. the only way it does achieve it is when you put the monitor into this overdrive mode, which causes this whole other host of issues anyway, so it's kind of like, it's not really one millisecond, but whatever. It's as close as you're going to get. So it can do all that with the gaming stuff, but it's also... IPS, so it's like colour accuracy, things like that. It's an LG monitor, so that's kind of, I think, is good as well, because, well, I think a lot of the LG stuff goes into Macs anyway, um, as like, because yep. they supply certainly some of the Mac monitors. Um, so yeah, it's. I, th- I think that might be a good move. The other consideration is by the time I'm sort of ready in terms of like money to, to buy this tower, there's going to be a whole new range of hardware out. So AMD is going to go from Ryzen 3 to Ryzen 4. So a whole new generation of chips on that front. So I'd, I'd imagine, like as is always the case with CPUs, it would probably be 10 or 15% improvement, but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of like specking things out with current gen parts on the assumption that the newer version will come in roughly at the same price, maybe with a slight premium because it's the new shiny. And then we've got new chips coming out from NVIDIA and AMD for the graphics as well before the end of the year which will hopefully coincide nicely with my timing because let's not forget we've got new consoles coming out um, Mm -hmm. that are based on AMD's new graphics architecture and we don't have PC cards of that architecture yet so these are going to be the cards that come out from AMD later this year that's interesting that that gives the consoles a head start eh? well they've said that the PC cards will come first okay so before the consoles launch but it's interesting that both Microsoft and Sony have gone for those cards from that architecture they call yeah. it rdna2 so we're kind of like on rdna1 at the moment um with like the, the kit that's out at the minute so and i wonder if there's going to be any advantage um i mean we're kind of going quite off topic for what this show is here but um, i guess we'll roll with it um you imagine did you see the unreal 5 demo uh yes yes i did yeah so that's kind of running on on that graphics hardware on the, on a ps5 i think it was it got me thinking if all the game engines like Unreal, like, uh, I don't know what all of them are called, like Unity and, and, and whatever else, they're going to be optimising for RDNA 2 like crazy if both the Xbox and the PlayStation are based on that architecture. That's like a fixed target, isn't it, that they're going to aim for? Yeah. To kind of squeeze every drop of performance out of those chips. And if they tune their engines to that, then it might be a good idea to have a card of that architecture in your PC as well, because you might kind of get some optimization for free yeah because it's not uncommon for pc ports you know like a console game that's kind of become a bit of a classic then it gets a pc version and the pc version sucks just because it can't you know like the port was bad or whatever 
I, I don't know. It makes me wonder whether that might be a route as opposed to... Because my instant thought was, well, obviously I'll get NVIDIA because that's what, you know, gaming PC, you got to get NVIDIA. That's kind of my thought, thought because that's kind of what I always did years ago. But um, yep. don't but know. things have moved on a bit. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be new generations like the 3080 Ti will come out as well around that time. So it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting kind of autumn time for, in, on that front. Um, yeah. But yeah, get the monitor now or now-ish. And then, then see see what that brings. But I can I can basically by keeping the Mac, it frees me up to build a kind of cheaper PC because all I need it to do is play games. I don't really need it to do anything else in terms of programming or video editing or any of that stuff. That's what I'm telling myself now, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Scary that I came that close, nevertheless. Yeah, yeah, very much so. This would have been a, a very interesting show. Otherwise, I think in terms of uh, ta da. No longer rocking the Mac. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was kind of like watching WWDC content. I was just kind of thinking, am I even like the audience for this now? Mm-hmm. Like I was watching it just thinking, not not thinking like I don't care, but I was just kind of like, I'm not fired up like I was last year for it. Um, like I was watching session after session this time last year, like Swift UI. Or, yeah. I don't know what's changed, but obviously something has. So I'm just hit a different mode, I think, at the moment, and I think that's that's natural. You know, everybody goes through different um, different phases and interests. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe my interest in tech is broadening. I think I'm just going to kind of roll with it for now. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm never going to write an iOS app again, because um, who knows? In like a month or two months, I'll have one of these like ta-da moments, and I'll be super psyched about this idea. But yeah, not at the minute. Hmm. I don't know how to respond, Dave. I don't know how to take it. Well, if there's any consolation, I don't know either. So, <laughs> no, no, no. I feel like I don't know anything at the moment, so that's that's fine. Oh man, yeah. Just trying to think of like what I've been up to lately in terms of, of iOS stuff, and I am way down the rabbit hole with a few things, <laughs> which is like the polar opposite to what you've just described. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which could be interesting, I guess, to, to bounce off. But yeah, I'm, I'm currently trying to figure out a more ideal uh, app architecture for SwiftUI. Oh, that one again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crikey. It's like the uh, the Holy Grail at the moment. Well, is it still MVVM? or? Mm, it's a question of when is MVVM not no longer really giving you the benefits that you want for MVVM and how do you kind of get um kind of have have your cake and eat it with it all really um yeah I, I guess I've been looking and sort of thinking um how can I have an architecture that is like it's got the fluidity that you get from Swift UI and sort of composability if you like uh whilst still maintaining um protocol driven uh dependencies and that side of stuff where you can define manager classes and that sort of stuff um with a protocol um build them out um with a with a, a class implementation and then give that to your your model that is then talking to your view yeah, to cut a long story short, I can make the, the view and the model work quite nicely in that, and I've got a system there for sort of getting the dependencies into the model as well, and in a sense where I can then override if I want to test, which is sort of the bit the crux of it. 
Um, but I'm still falling over with how to structure my manager objects because I want those to be testable as, as well and to be something that can be um, mocked in the right sense when being given to a model. And I guess there's one key problem that I'm really trying to just, just nail at the moment, and this is a problem before um, Swift UI or anything like that, uh, and that is the design pattern of, of a, a manager that you only want to have a single version of within the app. Um, so if you imagine you've got a database manager and you just want one of it, mm-hmm. I don't want to use a, a singleton pattern necessarily for, for maintaining it, but we could sort of put that to one side. I guess the goal with it is that I want to be able to define a, a manager that there is only one version of that different parts of the app can subscribe to its its outputs. So if you imagine you've got, say, I don't know, imagine, imagine it was a, a shopping list. You've got a database manager in charge of that shopping list. Um, and then every time something new is added to it or... Um, every time you edit something within it, um, I want different areas of the app to then receive an update for that. And that's that's the bit I'm really trying to just sort of fine-tune at the moment because there's a number of different ways it can be achieved. But I want the method that has the minimum level of boilerplate for each of the subscribing view models to, uh, to have to adhere to. Uh, and that's that's been... Uh, a goal for this weekend and I've, I've not been fruitful. That's all horrible that when that happens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm very much down the rabbit hole at the moment with it. Um, I'll get there. I'll find something. I'm, I'm no doubt about that. Um, but it sort of feels like a play whack-a-mole at the moment with, um, with different edges of yeah. uh, combine, not really with Swift UI actually. It's, it's with, it's with, um, just things like uh, I can make a beautiful observable object um, that you know the view models can then hook into and receive updates about uh, any other variables and things that I publish from that object. Uh, but then I can't define that very well in a protocol because you can't use the published property wrapper for those items in a protocol, which then means that making a, a mock object becomes a, a, a more involved kind of matter um so i sort of hit these kind of edges of the map and i don't really know where i'm supposed to bounce because apple haven't really articulated that um in, in a way that i've been able to find so far just listening to you say all of that mm-hmm. i was kind of thinking oh apple are a big software company in that they make apps F- forget them making yep. the os and all the hardware but you know a part of their company writes apps in the same way that we write apps. Yep. How do they do it? Which then got me thinking, have they shipped a Swift UI app? I think they have. I think they must have done. I just don't know which bits. I know bits of Big Sur are done in um, Swift UI. Well, yeah, that's of, not shipped yet. Kind of makes me wonder how do they do it internally? Because they must be having yeah, all have the same desires for like mocking things and having things able to be testable. Yep. So they must have this a solution to this, presumably. Unless, of course, they don't, and that explains iOS 13. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I get the feeling that, that some of the different apps are kind of almost their own, um, 
their own domains within Apple, and I think their 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 lineage and architecture probably varies from team to team. Um, I may be wrong, but I don't think there's a like a universal standard that is applied uniformly throughout the lot. Okay. Like I imagine there's a standard for for Mac OS, there's gonna be a standard that is adhered to within the Photos app, there's a standard that's adhered to within messages, and they're probably internally com- consistent. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily globally across every di- individual area of the business. Right. That's that's the impression I get because I think things have started with whatever they that was the driving was current at the time. Um, so there's still a hell of a lot of Objective C, for example, within within Apple's apps. Yes, mm. still a lot of there'll be much less Swift around, let alone Swift UI. And so the the architectures and approaches are going to vary from from project to project. I think just naturally over because of time. Um, the other side of it is that the examples on Apple's developer site are kind of like the minimum needed to get through the door and they don't necessarily consider you know this is how you would architect it if you wanted to specifically test these parts of the app or this is how you would architect it if you had a, a team of three people a team of 10 people a team of 50 working on the project because there's you know, different ways you would architect across all of those um and I think it's probably right in terms of Apple not being too prescriptive. But then, like I say, when I hit these sort of what feel like the edges of the map here or there, and I guess in a lot of ways I'm just trying to perhaps use things in the wrong way. You know, there's always that as well. I'm still learning. Um, it would be nice to be able to kind of go, oh, there's this, you know, example project that has unit tests and Swift UI and MVVM inside of it. You know, with 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 um, a few things that I can draw from, it would be nice if Apple had um, some example like design pattern projects as well. Because uh, I think that's really the key is kind of going, okay, I could take it in this route, but there's these these bits that become clunky. I could take it in this other route, but there's these other bits that become really clunky, and I, I feel like I've kind of got to code each way and then find out what I'm happy with. Uh, and it's really, really tricky to then just sort of find some off-the-shelf examples where where you can kind of just stack them side by side. I guess this uh, is almost a value of a lab session at WWDC, isn't it? Potentially, yeah. It would be very interesting to, to um, be able to sort of ask, well, okay, how do you do this? Yeah, because like what you've just described, that feels like a very good question for something like that. Whereas I've always thought... Yep. If if I ever got that opportunity, I'd be like, um, I, don't, I don't really know what to ask you. <laughs> like, I don't feel like I'm that good enough of a of a, a developer to like even know what question to ask you. Um, I've, I've, I, honestly, I've I've always assumed I would have to have like a, a really gnarly bug deep in AV Foundation or somewhere like that, and I'd be trying to track somebody down about one of those problems. Um, but yeah, you're right. This this actually would qualify as a as a good question potentially to literally just ask somebody in Apple. I guess at the other end of this is that as developers, uh, we shouldn't be dependent on Apple for everything. You know, I'm talking about design patterns and design patterns, are things that can be applied across different languages and the, the approaches of just getting, 
you know sets of problems resolved and i guess it's possible to to architect an app in any different way that you want to um and i think that certainly on team projects as well teams settle into their own kind of internally consistent way of working and so there is an element of this that does naturally sort of fall into the well try it out see what you want to do you know (laughs) you figure it out because you've got to live with whatever decisions are made um but there must be teams that want a little bit of guidance from apple yes like like you're basically describing aren't you yeah, and, and I'm coming at this literally from, I would like to to kind of, I would like to noodle around with SwiftUI and have a go at creating um, a couple of small app projects that have come to me over the last few months. Uh, and I don't want to pe- put myself in a corner too far, you know, in terms of like the, the structure of it um, and the approach. I don't want to create something and then be like, oh, God, did I really have to do it that way? Uh, Because that can happen really, really easily. You know, six months down the line, you're you're in a different sort of headspace with everything, and old code looks looks awful. I want to have something that's kind of a baseline that doesn't put me too far into into ways of working that are incredibly involved. Yeah. Um, Because you can do that. You can have all this boilerplate and all these different methods of... You know, configuring something to be tested or whatever, and then you come to work with it after a break and it just looks like an absolute mountain. And then the project is no longer fun to just pick up and play with. Yeah, and like next year's Xcode could ruin it or something. Mm-hmm, yep. So it's kind of like I'm after the minimum viable architecture, in a sense, that lets me just code quite fluidly um, while still leaving the door open for, for testability. I think that's my main goal. Are there any sessions, like WWDC sessions, like Swift UI and testing or, or anything like that? That might be something for me to check out. Yeah, um, I, I, fair to say I've not gone specifically through all the sessions to try and find one. Mm. Um, Feels like perhaps one they should have <laughs> if they haven't. <laughs> yeah, 